We are right in the midst of a series that we started on Easter, a series called Love Reigns. And on Easter, a couple weeks ago, we started by remembering that the, the proof of Jesus' power and authority is seen most or most powerfully not in avoiding the cross, but in fully submitting to the cross and encountering not only death, but eventual resurrection. That that is what confirms or gives us the proof that Jesus has all power and all authority. Bless you. Last week, we, we focused on how love or God's love reigns over our past and that we all have a past that we cannot change and yet we don't have to allow it to continue to control us. Now that is hard. We need other people in our lives to help us in that. And it's very similar to what we'll talk about today as we move into our present. When it comes to our past, we know that when we are united with Christ, the phrase that we used last week was, in Christ, it means being fully united to him. And when you are united in Christ, you are actually a new creation. Now your outside might look completely the same, but when you say yes to Jesus, you are not just you, you are recreated you with a completely different set of eyes and a way of seeing the world. And this is something that we grow into all throughout our life. And hopefully, we will get to fully realize that soon when Jesus returns. God's love caused Jesus to endure the cross, and God's love forgives us our past, and that same love can also now reign or rule in our hearts today. Because of God's great mercy, we actually are able to live lives that honor him. We can't live a life that honors God for any other reason than because of his mercy. We can't do it on our own. It is God's gift that actually allows us to honor him with our lives. In my younger days, not I did in my youngest days, I was not, um, I didn't have one of these, but there was one at my grandma's house. Who remembers the old original game Simon Says? Remember this thing? Some of you might even, if you were lucky enough, you might have even had it. If you are younger now, you probably will have no idea what this is because this was like 1970s and into the 80s. And it was the whole, it was sort of like the original version of Simon Says. Now, you might be more familiar with the game itself. Simon Says, how does that game operate? You give some sort of instruction and then you respond. So if Simon Says, clap your hands, what do you do? And if Simon Says, stop, see, so you, you, you already failed because you stopped <laughs> clapping. You didn't keep clapping. No, you know the whole game. Every time Simon Says, lean to the person next to you, you do that. And then when Simon says stop, you stop doing that. When Simon says try to, try to touch your foot, you do that. And then when Simon says stop, you stop doing that. And when Simon says stand up, 
You d- I, I, will give, I will give some of you a pass. And then sit down. Okay, you, you get it. Okay, you, you, guys, you guys understand. You know what that game is all about. Simon Says is actually a test of our ability to listen to instructions. It's a test of willpower, actually, Simon Says. I don't know who came up with that it's Simon, but apparently he says a lot. And this is a fun and simple test of our willpower, and it is a test because, ironically, we have all been created with our own free will. That can be a really good thing, and that can be a less than good thing sometimes. Those of you that have small children or you're around small children, you know that one of the first things to develop in us is will. Who here has seen firsthand the example of a child's will at six months or even younger? How about 16 months? How about 16 years? Or even 60 years? We all have a will of our own. And our will actually controls a lot of us. It includes all of our desires and our convictions and then our decisions on what we act on and what we don't act on. We make thousands of decisions every single day. True? A lot of them we make without even thinking. It's like we're unconscious when we make them. There are just certain things that we do not even realizing that it was a decision, like deciding to brush my teeth or not, deciding to have breakfast or not. And all those things. And a lot of them are just like small things. <sighs> yes, I did brush my teeth, but, you know, we'll see. Um, every day, we constantly are weighing all of our options. And then we choose to do what we think is best. Or sometimes we just choose to do what we simply want to do, whether it's for our good or not. Other times, our decisions are influenced by things that we are told to do by other people or told by different factors in our world that this is what you should do or this is what you should be about. Sometimes we actually make decisions to act because it's a, it's a repetitious message that we've heard over and over. You know, one of the things that, one of the reasons that things like political propaganda works is because it's the message that just keeps getting repeated and eventually people start to believe it and then they act on those. Whether it's true or not. It's part of the human psyche. We can also find ourselves being obedient to voices that do not have our best interests in mind. All of us are well aware of that as well. I can think of voices that I unfortunately listened to. I wish I hadn't, but I did. And we're subject to a will that's not of our own in some of those moments. And those can be painful moments as well. However, God's love actually gives us another option for us, that we can train ourselves with help to listen for God's voice so that we can make the best or wisest decisions possible right now, today, and tomorrow, and the next day. This is not a one-time-fits-all or a one-size-fits-all. This is a daily choice And sometimes it's a slog. You know what it's like to get through some days. You you get to the end of the day and you're not sure how you somehow survived. 
and yet you can. Sometimes it's, yes, you're right, moment to moment. Fundamentally, though, our choices actually reveal who reigns in us. Or you could also say what reigns in us. Our choices reveal who or what reigns in us. The things we choose to do or not to do show us who or what we are actually listening to and who or what is actually truly Lord of our life. Our lives are largely made up of all of those decisions and that can be a painful test for some of us at times. To whom or what has our allegiance? Just like last week, we know that our pasts are made up of that full, vast collection of things that we've did or left undone. Wise or unwise choices that we made along the way. When you look back at your life, sometimes you can think about who or what was in charge at that moment. I know that I've thought about that. And I know some of you have thought about that as well. And probably for many, if not most of us, when we think backwards, our lives are a mixed bag. Some good, some bad, some kind of in the middle. Maybe it leans one way or the other. Maybe some seasons it leans one way or the other. Some decisions were a result of being obedient to God. Others were a result of obedience to some other little g God. The Apostle Paul often focuses on this being influenced by God rather than being influenced by the world. And he does this because for followers of Christ and all who have responded to Christ's love, it is this love that should reign in our lives and rule over our decisions. But when this is not the case, if that's the ideal, when this is not the case, Paul actually writes several helpful reminders for us. If you take a look in Romans chapter 12, I'm just going to highlight a couple of verses this morning. I would encourage you to read the whole chapter. And actually, if you continue on in Romans, Romans chapter 12 is a good starting point. It's probably the best book in the New Testament if you want the broad overview of the good news and then the application of that as disciples of Christ. Let me just read verse 12, verse 1 of chapter 12. Paul likes this word to start out. Therefore, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now, at first glance, we're, this verse doesn't really seem to directly tie to this at all until we take a step back. Because every helpful instruction from this verse and through the whole rest of the chapter, and indeed through the rest of Romans, actually is therefore seen through this specific lens. What this verse is, is a lens that Paul hopes that we learn to view the world by. And there's one phrase in there that I want to focus on this morning. Who's seen one of these before? When I, the first time I went up Mount Diablo, they had a version of this at the top. You know, you could put a quarter into it. 
and then with that quarter, you're supposed to get this amazing view, and sometimes you do, but if, if the person before you kind of really mashed their eyeballs in there or was like small, there might be a little bit of film that's on there, and so it's not always crystal clear. But the idea is that when you take a look in this, it takes whatever, the beauty that's far away, and it's like it brings it all the way forward in living color. I know Karen does a lot of photography, so when you use a really good lens, I mean, you can zoom in and see the amazing detail and beauty that you couldn't necessarily see with your natural eyes. If you try to take a picture with your phone, you might get a great picture, but the more and more you zoom in, it gets a little pixelated. These types of lenses are really designed to bring what is far away into clear focus. They give you a different lens with which to see the world. The first time I used one of these at the Grand Canyon, I was amazed. I, I mean, when you look at the Grand Canyon, if you've ever been there before, it's, it's immense and amazing all on its own. And then when you, when you zoom in, you can't believe the amount of detail and color that you start to see. To fully grasp this new way of living in the present, we have to reframe and refocus how we see. We look through lenses to get a better view it's amazing how one little change can bring everything into focus and help you to see things that you couldn't see before. It changes the point of view. It gives you a new perspective. And this is the goal that Romans 12 leaves with us. It begins in this place to change the way you see your life, to reorient how you view your present circumstances or situations. See, when we're left to our own devices, we tend to start to grumble and complain, just like the Israelites did time and again. God would provide for them, they'd be happy for a few moments, and then it's like their brains would turn off and they would completely forget of all that they had already received and they'd be like, man, I don't want to eat this manna again. This stuff is tasteless and gross. Never mind that I'm hungry. Give me a big old steak. Or if you're my wife, give me a big old salad. <laughs> Paul helps reorient how we view our present situation. He says, in view of God's mercy. This is the lens that Paul hopes we begin to see all of life through. In view of God's mercy. This is the one lens, God's mercy, that can change your whole life. It can change your whole outlook if you allow it to. If you allow the Spirit of God, as we sang, to fall fresh on you, to open your eyes and help you to see from the perspective of God. All throughout Scripture, we are invited to live differently and to see life differently. The Psalms in particular do this really well. They regularly refocus our attention on how God responds in his mercy. Psalm 130 says, If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness, so that we can, with reverence, serve you. In view of God's mercy, we know that Jesus offered himself on the cross for us. We focus on this theme a lot in the season of Easter. We are offered a fresh start because of God's mercy. We are loved unconditionally because of God's 
mercy. And this one fact alone can begin to change everything for you when we really experience the mercy of God. It's a lens that helps us move our focus from what we want to get done to what God has already done. When we turn our attention to this, then we desire to live our lives, as Romans says, as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, the only sacrifice that he wants, he doesn't need you to go on the cross. He already did it. And in fact, several places in Scripture, it says, I don't really actually desire your sacrifice. Psalm 51 says, My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, a repentant heart, you, God, will not despise. That's the sacrifice that God is really looking from us as living sacrifices. A repentant heart at an obedient spirit. One of the phrases that I've used before, the people that are the easiest to work with are the ones who have a teachable spirit. The people that are the hardest to work with are those who don't have that, who think they already have everything figured out. God wants us to have that obedient, teachable spirit. To be a living sacrifice, though, it sounds kind of wonderful in one regard, but it's actually a lot harder. You know, in the Old Testament, they had that whole system of sacrifices where they would sacrifice a goat, which we now learned is very expensive. Goats are super expensive nowadays. And if you didn't have the money for a goat, you could sacrifice something smaller like a pair of birds or sometimes cows were sacrificed, all these things. But the thing is that all of those sacrifices, all those animals, they, they didn't have a choice. And when they were killed, they stayed on the altar. You're a living sacrifice. You actually have the choice to crawl off the altar. There's a movie out right now all about, uh, from the Old Testament, all about when the son was brought And remember, he was going to be offered as a sacrifice. Who remembers that story? Yeah. And it got to the point where God was going to see was going to see if he was going to follow through. And then he and then it says he stayed his hand. He prevented him from doing that. It's it's this. He wasn't actually going to do it, but he wanted to give that image of this is what is actually going to happen down the road through Jesus Christ. And now we don't have to do that at all. Instead, he wants us to be living sacrifices. In view of God's mercy, live as a living sacrifice. That means that sometimes we have to put ourselves on the altar and not crawl away. Sometimes we have to submit in ways that we don't like. I know that that's not a word that is very popular, submitting. We're going to come back to that word in a little bit. The outcome of living this kind of sacrificial life is seen in the very next verse, verse 2. Let me read that. Romans 12, 2. It says this, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
Last week we said what? In Christ you are a new creation. If you are a new creation, you have been given a new mind. A mind that can be renewed in the ways of God. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. See, sometimes we want to let ourselves off the hook. We say, I just don't know what God's will is. What's God's will for my life? Well, we haven't really submitted ourselves to what he actually has said and desires from us. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In the world, we can see patterns that reveal both good and evil, and we know that the good patterns are glimpses of God's mercy and his goodness. The evil patterns, however, like greed and selfishness, and you can name a whole bunch of them, pride, gossip, these are the patterns that lead to disorder and destruction in our lives. And over time, these simple choices that we make each and every day that we said earlier, they can become patterns, routines in our lives. The good news, however, is that routines, our patterns, can actually be changed and transformed. Not easily all the time, but there is the chance that they could be changed. Changing patterns actually changes you. When you change the ways that are not leading you on the right way, you can actually come back to the way that God has prepared for you. When we change our patterns... It changes us. Now this, I said, is not always easy, but with a little attention, we can become aware of the patterns in our life. We can easily identify them. And some, some of you are well aware of the good and the not-so-good patterns in your own life. It's a skill that we've been learning from childhood. If you take a look at your chair, you look at the color of your chair right now, what do you notice about the chairs in here today? What? What do you mean, me? They have a pattern. What's the pattern? Okay, so if I'm going to add a chair to the middle aisle, which chair am I going to add? Okay. And where should this one go? We'll start a fourth row, right? Actually, I'm going to do, I'm going to do it right here. Okay, once you see the pattern, it's easy to identify. In your life, this can also be true. As you see the pattern, you start to look closely, you realize what is going to come next. If it's a pattern that has not been very helpful, you know what it's going to lead to. You know the pattern. You know the outcome. If it is a good or a better or more life-giving pattern, you also know the pattern and what it's going to lead to, what comes next. This is true in our lives. If we pay attention to the patterns in our life, we can begin to anticipate or understand what comes next. And once you've identified patterns, then you can begin to change them. Now, I said this is not easy. You cannot do this on your own or completely by yourself. You will need all the resources you can muster. You will need other people in your life. And you will most especially need the Lord God Almighty for whom all power and authority has been given. With all of that helpful 
love, and support, you stand a chance of changing those patterns. Perhaps this is the reason that Romans points us to see our lives in view of God's mercy. That if not for God's mercy, we couldn't change anything. We would have been circling the drain long ago. In view of God's mercy, as Romans says, you do not have to conform to those patterns any longer. Reach out to the Lord and ask for help. And sometimes reaching out to the Lord and asking for help means you ask for the help of someone in your life. When someone asks you for help, don't always be quick to say no. You might need to take a beat. Hopefully it can be a yes and. You can also ask for God's vision to help you break those patterns. Because you know what bad patterns are? They're chains that keep us bound. We're going to sing about that in a few minutes. Allow the Spirit of God to renew your mind day by day, moment by moment, like you said. Ask for the right support and the right people to enter your life so that the beauty of God's love can truly begin to reign over your present, your daily experience now. This is not some future aim. God's love can reign right now. If it has all power over your past, it certainly has all power over your present. And we'll talk about the future next week. Perhaps it begins with a small, seemingly incremental change. Some of you, and I know this has also been true in my life, there are patterns that are very difficult to break. Seemingly impossible. And they might be impossible if just for ourselves. You will need the power of God in your life. You will need the power of trusted people in your life. You might need outside resources that are beyond your ability. You might need medical care to help you. You might need emotional care or psychological care to help you. All those tools that God has provided the people that God has gifted with some of those tools for just such a time as to help you or to help those around you. Perhaps, though, all it takes for you right now to break that pattern is a small change. Maybe it's how you start your day. Maybe it starts with how you end your day or how you work to remove the conditions or situations that actually lead into those poor patterns. Sometimes we talk about accountability. That's one of the great things about accountability. If you are in a poor pattern in your life, who can you bring in that can help keep you accountable so that you don't walk that path again? What we often find, though, is that those small wins in our lives, actually minor victories, I would like to call them, can alter the momentum and even lead us into the life that God desires for us. So how can we begin to do all of this in our lives? One way that I would say primarily, and this has to do with our choices again, we have to begin to trade our will for God's will. See, we are willful creatures, willful people 
from the smallest human beings that we once were, exercising our free will, crying to our heart's content. My little niece, who's, I think she's seven or eight months old now, she's already learned to do this when she wants something. She just, or when she doesn't want to actually crawl herself, she just goes, eh, 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 like lift me up and move me, mom. And it's like, no, you can actually do it. You don't need to keep doing this. It also reminds me of milking a cow, but you know, that's, that's a different story. The ultimate outcome of a sacrificial life in a renewed mind is to the ability to distinguish the will of God for your present life. How many of us have struggled wondering what decision to make today or how to go about this or that? Should I go left? Should I go right? Should I enter through that door or not? Should I take that job or not? Should I move there or not? And many of us want to do what God wants us to do. And the way we learn to follow the will of God is by trading our own will for his. To remain a living sacrifice on the altar, voluntarily giving up our need to control and have everything figured out. What would it look like if we traded in the time and the energy that we spend on all those old and poor patterns in our life and allowed God instead to help us create new patterns that lead to better outcomes. What do they say about insanity? Something like uh, doing something over and over and expecting different results. We already know what the outcomes are going to be when we do certain things, whether we want to be honest about it or not. Under the reign of God's love and mercy, however, in your life, commit to spend time with him in prayer, to read the word. Do you know that since the pandemic Bible reading, the studies have shown has actually gone down? All that time that people supposedly had, commit to reading the word of God, commit to serving others, commit to learning to listen to his voice. God promises to lead you and to show you his will for your life when we submit to his lead. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I like this version because it uses a different word than perhaps you're used to. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. That part most people know. In all your ways, what do we normally say? Acknowledge him. I like this one. In all your ways, it actually means submit to him. In how many ways? All our ways. We don't like to think about that. Oh, I acknowledge you, God. Isn't that a wonderful thing? No, in all your ways, submit to him and what? He will make your paths straight or perhaps less crooked. When we trust in the Lord and question our own understanding, we begin to see the path that God has already laid before us. This trust that the author speaks of in writing this is a trust that God's love is always seeking the best for you. That's a fact. God's love is always seeking the best for you. Why would we not want to rely on God's love? It is a love that you can rely on and actually obey God because of it. You know, I've talked a little bit about the will of children, and I don't mean to put children 
in the crosshairs of being willful because we know as adults we continue that same willfulness. All those things that we learn as little kids and we refine as children and teens, we actually perfect as adults for good or ill. One of the most difficult things to teach is for people to be able to trust us because we love them and we want the best for them. That's how God views us. God has that same ability. He, has, he loves us and wants the best for us. It's a hard thing to teach and an even harder thing for us to learn. But if we are going to live the life God has for us today, then we must trust his love. We must allow that love to reign in us each and every day. So my sisters and brothers, lift your eyes to the Lord and allow his love to shine through to you today and every day. Amen. Let's pray. God, trading our will for yours is oh so hard. Submitting ourselves is oh so hard. But if we have placed our trust in you, put our faith in you, if we truly believe that you are Lord of all with all power and authority, then we can learn to do this actually willingly and joyfully. God, will you help us to do this? Will you help us to begin to break those patterns that are keeping us stuck today so that we can develop better patterns that allow us to lean more into your presence and to seek and follow your will. God, we offer this prayer in the strong and powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Our benediction is simply this. Jesus. 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 May he break every chain. Yes. For you. Amen, amen. Church, have a wonderful week. We look forward to seeing you.